Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to piggyback on, you know, some of the things we've been sharing over the, few, the past few weeks, but specifically on the parable that Stephen spoke about last week. Uh, and I'm going to start by just re-emphasizing the point that he was making. But we're going to read that parable together just to refresh our minds. It comes out of Matthew 21, 28 to 32. I'm reading from the New King James. And in this parable, Jesus says, but what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, uh, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went away. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father, Jesus asks. Well, he's talking to the Pharisees here, and they replied, the first. And Jesus explaining his meaning. Did I tell you the truth? Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Uh, actually, that's probably not New King James. That's probably NLT. But nonetheless, the point is this. Stephen spoke to us last week about these two sons. The one who says, yes, I will go and doesn't. Uh, and the other one who says, no, I won't go, but changes his mind. He has a change of heart and goes and works in his father's vineyard. And Stephen was really reflecting and he caught on his own journey, but he caused us all to reflect on the question of what is my heart's response? What is my response when God says, I want you to do such and such? Do I say, yes, Lord, and really just do nothing about it? Nothing in me really changes. Or do I say, no, Lord, and, and but yet along the way, or I can't, Lord, but along the way, allow him to change our hearts and minds. Well, Jesus said, you know, because he was talking to the Pharisees specifically in their situation, and he was confronting their hypocrisy. But you know what? There's actually a third option, which Jesus didn't mention. And I think you all would agree that the best option in this case would be to have a son that says, yes, sir, and does it. So there's no ambiguity. Yes, I will. And yes, he does. His, his, his will becomes aligned to the father's will. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is the, the transformation of the will. The transformation of the will. You know, when Jesus comes to take up residence in our hearts, something begins to change. He works in our nature. Uh, and we have this battle between our, our what we want to do and, and these sorts of things uh, and our ideas, our opinions. And those are constantly being confronted as we read God's word with Jesus' ideas and what he thinks and what he desires. I want to ask you this question. Is there anything, if you think about it, that is more powerful in this world, apart from God, of course? Is there anything in this world that is more powerful than the obstinate will of man? You know, the fact is, I want what I want. And I also want to do what I want to do. Don't we all feel that way? You know, we, we, can, we can talk about all spiritual theory things, but at the end of the day, I want what I want. And when do I want it? Probably now. Don't like having to wait for it because I want it. 
our will has a way of being incredibly stubborn, unwilling to yield. We sit in our ways. We are established in our way of thinking, hard to move. You know, my father once said to me, once you hit about 25, 30 years old, people don't really change much. They just become more like who they already are by that stage. And there's a measure of truth in that. Somebody who's stubborn at that age takes a lot to change that stubborn streak. But the other thing about the will of man is that it's incredibly tenacious. It's passionate. It not only knows what it wants, but it has a way of aligning everything in its life to go after it, to pursue it, to work towards it, to not accept anything less. It's relentless in its pursuit for satisfaction. You know, it wasn't long ago that it was about two, three weeks ago, I said to Helen, do we have any chocolate in the house? She said, no. I said, I feel like chocolate. She says, well, we've got none. So I got in the car and I went to the shop down the road to buy chocolate because I wanted chocolate. No kid's sweets was going to suffice. I didn't want something savory. Good old Cadbury's dairy milk was all that. And I made a plan to make it happen. Why? Because I wanted chocolate. And yet, so we have this will of ours that is, that is relentless, that works hard to accomplish what it wants. And then we, we meet Jesus who says, I've come to give you true life. I've come to bring you out of sin. But his first instruction, his primary command to every single one of us who, who want what he is offering, this wonderful life, is this. Luke 9, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. And so the first thing that Jesus says that if we want to be his disciples, if we want to partake in this incredible life that he lived, that he has come to give us, not just our kind of life, but everlasting eternal life, the first thing we've got to do is deny our will, deny what it is that we want. And I've come to learn through my own journey, as well as working with people and, and, and through seeing what scripture says that there is a, a big difference between the submission of one's will and the transformation of one's will. And I want to talk to you about that difference because I believe there is huge, huge power in understanding this principle where God doesn't want us to work from the place of I have to, but he wants us to work from the place of I'd love to. I'd love to do that. Um, you know, where it's the old analogy, I, I've used it often, you may have heard it before, if you have humor me, of the little boy who stands on the pew next to his mom in church one day, and she says, sit down. And he says, I don't want to sit, I can't see. She says, sit down. And he says, I want to see. She says, sit down. And so the little boy sits and he folds his arms and he says, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. In other words, I have submitted to you but I still want what I want. I still don't want to do what you are making me do, even though I'm doing it. And the thing is this, that submission and agreement are very different things. People really don't understand the depth of what submission truly means. I've often heard people say, you know, I'll submit to that idea or that person as long as I agree with them. But if I don't agree with them, I can't submit to them. But the truth is, submission doesn't even come into play until there's disagreement. 
I don't need to submit to you when I agree with you. We're in agreement. No submission is required. But when I disagree with you, that's where submission comes into play. And the attitude with which we submit and the heart with which we submit determines the end result. You see, you can begrudgingly submit. You can do what you're told because you have to, but there's no life in that. I also believe that agreement is the product of true submission. So in other words, when we're already agreed, no submission is required. But when we disagree and I submit, when my submission through time and experience results in actually thinking the same way you do, my submission has come to maturity and its end result is agreement because I have now been impacted through that submission and I have been changed. I remember early on in my walk with Pastor Andreas, this used to happen to me quite a lot. I remember one particular example where there was a relationship in my life he was cautioning me against. And he said, Michael, you need to sever that. You need to cut that off and you need to move away from it. You need to move on with your life. That's holding you back. And I struggled with that. I thought, that's not love. How can a pastor tell you to cut somebody off? How is that loving? How is that loving them? How is that loving you? Truth be told, I disagreed with him. I didn't understand what he was saying. But when I prayed about it, I was left with no choice because God said, well, I put you under him. Are you going to listen to him or not? Are you going to submit? And I remember submitting at the time as difficult and I want to tell you as painful as it was. Now, looking back on that, we're talking, what, almost 20 years ago now? Looking back on that decision, I understand and I see that he was 100% right. That relationship was holding me back in my walk with God. Not because the other person was bad, but because that relationship resembled a form of idolatry in my life. I needed to slay that relationship to be able to grow and move on with God. I was too closely connected to it. And so I now see it and I understand it and I'm in full agreement. What's happened? I now counsel people to do the same thing. Why? Because my submission didn't just say, well, I did it because he told me to. And well, you know, here I am all these years later and I've, I've done what he said. No, it's, my, my attitude and my heart has shifted from just submission to agreement. And I think sometimes, folks, we stop at submission. Even to God even in godly relationships, whereas God's wanting us to move from submission to maturity, from submission into full agreement. That is how transformation takes place. And where this really happens is in our attitude. Submission is going to have to happen whether we like it or not. All of us are going to have to submit from time to time. You know, marriage is a wonderful example of that. Paul tells us, submit to one another. In other words, Allow yourself to be changed by the other person because that's how iron sharpens iron. You see, submission is not just, okay, we'll do what you say. Submission is, okay, I'll allow myself to think your way. Isaiah 1.19, God says this, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Willing and obedient. Let me use marriage as a good example again. I can do the dishes because I have to do the dishes. How is that going to affect my marriage? Negatively. I'm going to resent my wife 
because she's making me do this slavish task of washing the dishes. But if I am willing and I do the dishes, how is that going to affect my marriage? Wonderfully, because now what I'm doing is an act of love. It's that my will is in it. My desire is to bless and to please my wife. Uh, on Friday, we had a, a, a meeting and Stephen shared something. He says, you know, in his house, he knows that if he's not going to do the dishes, his wife is going to have to do the dishes. And he's not happy with that. So I said to him, Stephen, you need to realize that in my house, if you don't do the dishes, my wife is going to do the dishes. Are you happy with that? He still hasn't answered me. But nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, what I'm talking about here is the attitude of heart. That obedience is not enough. God desires for us to have true willingness. And this is where Stephen was getting to last week in the message that he, that he preached. It's not just so much about did the son go into the vineyard? Was his heart there? What was his attitude as he went into that vineyard? You know, this is the big difference between a servant and a son. A servant does what he has to do because he's getting paid to do it. A son does what he wants, what his father wants him to do because he loves the father. Psalm 37, 11 says this. Oh, wait, before I read that, I want to say this. I, I, I've learned along the way that one of the words that is most closely associated in my heart and mind with the word submission is the word meekness. Those two go together like a hand in a glove. Meekness is the attitude of teachableness. The willingness to accept, I don't know everything and I need to learn. I need to change. I need to grow. Psalm 37, 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in abundance of peace. Folks, this is the complete antithesis of what this world's philosophy is. This world's philosophy is get what you want, go get it. It doesn't matter who you have to step on to get it. It's about you and what you want. Are you going to let other people decide what you get? You know, are you going to? bend what you want for everybody else but the word of god says in the new the new living translation says it this way the lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity in other words that if i allow myself to be taught and changed according to god's will and word he will cause to take place in my life the things that everybody else is seeking after and and and, and, and gunning for and shooting for and killing for that's the principle of Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. You see, I have learned and I've experienced that inheritance is only for the meek. You, you can earn what you can earn through your own self-effort. But inheritance is only for the meek. For those who have been willing to be transformed to the place where they can be trusted. That is who inheritance is for. And that's how the kingdom of God works. To the degree that we are transformed into the likeness of Christ, his way of thinking and his heart of love and willingness is the degree to which we will experience his life and his power and his grace and provision and blessing working in our lives and through us. It's all about that transformation of our will to line up with his. It is not just for those who will to do the will of God. Also, meekness is not just, you know, to do the will of God, but it's to allow God to transform their will. That's that's the point that I'm making. 
the teachableness. I've already spoken about these things. If you think of a magnificent horse, a great stallion, the horses, quite frankly, scare me. You know, I've stood next to a good few horses. I've ridden a few. I enjoy riding riding a horse, but they're, they're incredibly scary for me because they are so powerful. I stand next to this creature. He towers above me, and I look at those muscles, and he's incredibly powerful, far stronger than I am. But no matter how powerful it may be, no matter what potential may be in that horse, it is useless to its owner unless it yields to the owner's leading. It remains a useless beast. It cannot produce anything of value. It is just a consumer. It consumes the grass and the things around it. It lives for itself and it produces waste. That's all it does. Folks, many of us or many people in this world live that way. They are just purely consumers. They produce no good to anyone else around them, and they just produce waste. But when that mighty horse's will is broken or yielded, you know, I know of, of people who train horses, there's two thoughts. The one is you have to break the will of the horse, and you do that through taking a commanding influence over the horse. But there's another school of thinking, which is far more popular these days, obviously, because it's more PC, is that it's training the will of the horse to naturally want to do what you want it to do. How they do that, I don't know. But those are the two schools of thought. But either way, unless that horse's will is compliant, it can do nothing. It is no use to anyone, not even itself. And the truth is, folks, that if we compare that to our lives, the, the same principle rings true. That in our walk with God, as long as our will is not yielded, we live for ourselves. We are just purely consumers of his blessing, consumers of everything that's going on around us. We are no good for the kingdom and for those around us. We are not living to be a blessing. We are useless in the kingdom. We carry this name and we carry this title, but we're like incognito Christians. Nobody else must know. That's not how it works. So this life of submission and allowing our wills to be formed and changed and shaped by God is a costly one. It means we have to lay down our will and therefore, because there's a cost involved to it, it is not easy. And I want you to know Jesus empathizes with us in this journey. One of my favorite scriptures is the moment where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22, 42. And he is agonizing in prayer over what is about to happen to him. And he's praying to God. And he says, Lord, if it is your will, take this cup from me. And that is, those words, grab, you know, let me finish the scripture. If it is your will, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I draw tremendous comfort from that because I see that even Jesus himself grappled with, with the things that he was facing, grappled to not just do the will of the Father, but align his heart so completely with it because he, he was struggling with this decision. Now, granted, I'm not struggling with having to be crucified. I, I get that the comparison here is a big jump, uh, that what I'm struggling with seems very meek and small compared to what Jesus was, was grappling with at that moment. But the point is that even in the intensity of that battle, Jesus' heart, his attitude was so aligned that he was saying, this is what I want. I don't, if there's another way, can we do it? But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
You see, Jesus didn't tell his disciples to deny their will while he was running amok doing what he wanted. Jesus simply asked his disciples to follow the same example that he followed. And it was a costly one. It cost Jesus his very life. Now, why would it be that God, who has gifted us with this will, so that we can be like him, expects us to lay it down? How does that make any sense? Well, I'm going to tell you a very simple answer. Because he loves you. That's why. You see, in the beginning, when God created man, our wills were completely intertwined and aligned. It was only when man ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil that everything got corrupted and perverted. And our state of being in that sinful nature, God knows that our will will lead to one place, destruction. No matter how good it seems, no matter. You see, that's how Satan dressed it up for Eve. He said, well, look at the fruit. Isn't it beautiful? Doesn't it look so scrumptious, juicy? And she said, oh, yes, it looks good for food. And I, I wonder what it tastes like. Oh, it's the best thing you've ever had. And that's kind of how we still go through life right now. I know that I shouldn't, but it looks so good. And it's painted as this wonderful thing. And we, we align our wills with those things so quickly and so easily because they are pleasurable. You see, God knows what sin has done to us. He knows what the outcome of that will be. And in his love, he therefore offers us an alternative. You see, God, when he wants you to lay down your will, is not depriving you. He is empowering you. He is allowing you to use that will that he gave you to choose a different outcome. Let's look at Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20. It says, look at what I've done for you today. I've placed in front of you life and good and death and evil. I'm reading from the message, by the way, Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through to 20. Now, as I read on, you will see that the secret to making the right choice, you know, God has given us this choice. He's given, laying it before you, life and, and goodness. What was it? Life and goodness, death and evil. The, the secret to making the right, right choice is motivated by the same principle that inspires that choice. What is this principle that inspires that choice? God says, I love you. Therefore, I'm giving you an opportunity to choose a different outcome. And that same love, when it's reciprocated, enables us to make the right choice. Listen to what it goes on to say. Verse 16. And I command you, love God, your God. Walk in his ways. Keep his commandments, regulations, and rules so that you will live. Really live. Live exuberantly. Blessed by God, your God, in the land you are about to enter and possess. But I warn you, if you have a change of heart, refuse to obey uh, obediently and willful to listen obediently and willfully go off and serve and worship other gods, you most certainly will die. It won't last long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call all heaven and earth to witness against you today. I place before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your children will live. And love God. There it is again. Love God, your God, listening obediently to him, firmly embracing him. Oh, yes, he is life itself. A long life settled on the soil that God, your God, promised to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't that beautiful? You see, when we understand what God is offering us and giving us, 
He's not calling to deprive us of our will and what we want and our dreams. He is coming to give us something far, far, far superior than we even have the ability to think of and dream up in our own minds. And really the key to that is all about where we put our delight, where we, what the choices that we make deep down inside our hearts. Let me read to you some scriptures to back this up. Psalm 37 verses 3 to 4 says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Ryan McLaren writes this, he says, concerning the scripture, it shows that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us our delight. If he is our delight, he gives us more of himself. Longings fixed on him satisfy themselves. Isn't that beautiful? When we align our affections, our devotion toward him, that is the first thing where submission begins to become transformation. Another script, couple of scriptures, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, his delight, his delight, his pleasure, his joy is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates all night, all day and night. That man, the Bible promises, shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. That brings forth his fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Isn't that incredible? Paul says it this way, New Covenant, Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Folks, let me ask you this. If the will of man can produce such power and influence, like we spoke of at the beginning, that tenaciousness to go after what it desires and to make it work, if it can produce such influence when focused on self, imagine what it could unleash when focused on God. Because God promises that he will satisfy that kind of soul. That kind of hunger, that kind of longing. And here's the principle. This, I'll be honest, as I was preparing again and, and praying over my, my notes this morning, this principle came to me and I've never seen it this way before. But it really, I believe it's so powerful. Your will possesses no spiritual power in and of itself. We often glorify our wills. But your will, what you want, doesn't possess any spiritual power. It simply determines what spiritual power you will release in your life through submitting to it. Did you get that? Your will doesn't have the ability or any power intrinsically within it to produce any change. It simply determines what power and influence you will submit to, God or the enemy, and thereby unlocking and unleashing that power in your life. Isn't that an incredible principle? You see, God makes the decision binary. Binary mean, it means it's one or zero. It's one or the other. Only two options. Life or death, blessing or cursing. The choice is yours, but there's only one of two sources that we can draw from. Or let me put it this way, there's only one of two sources we can submit to, yield to. And the beautiful thing is that, the beautiful thing within this principle is that whatever we yield to, we transform into. 
Why do I say that's beautiful? Because therefore we have the power through our yielding and our submission to God to be transformed more and more into his likeness. Second Corinthians, as our gaze, as we, you know, looking beholdent into his face, are being transformed. There is this transformation of our will, our desires, not just what we do, but why and how we do it. It's that inspiration of God's love working in us as we yield to it again and again and again. And that is why, folks, God can do nothing for you outside of your will. God works through your will. When Jesus came, Shaphan mentioned it this morning, he didn't establish his kingdom through bloodshed and a throne. He established his kingdom through the will of man. That's powerful. That is how the kingdom of God works, in and through the kingdom. And so really redirecting my will begins with redirecting my affections. To what degree do I love God more than I love myself? Good question to ask. Maybe you want to write them down and in your quiet times this week, ponder on these three questions. To what degree do I love God more than I love myself? In other words, how do I lay down my will, my opinion, and embrace his and align my heart to his? To what degree does that take place? To what degree do I love those God has called me to serve more than myself? That could be a boss. You know, in my, in my position as a pastor, God has called me to serve in a number of capacities, to serve Andreas, Pastor Andreas, as my apostolic oversight and, and to minister to his needs. God has also called me to serve the body of Christ. That's what a shepherd is. He's a servant of the people. To serve them, to feed, to care for, to nurture. Do I love you more than I love myself? And finally, to what degree do I love my neighbor more than I love myself? Do I value what he will think of me more than the eternal destiny of his soul? Do I love him enough to lay down his perception of me in order to reach him with the love of Jesus? Can I truly say, as David said in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is within my heart. It's within my heart. In other words, it has made me who I am. It has transformed me from what I was to being more like you. Folks, this journey of the transformation of the will is one of the greatest journeys that we, it's the journey of discipleship. It's the journey of daily laying down what I want, come what may, and following Jesus. And the reason we need to be reminded of this so often is because we have a way of having that will, that, that tenacious, that stubborn will rise up within us again and again and again and try to force us off into ways that are pleasurable for us, that are comfortable for us. Uh, am I confessing too much here or do I have a witness? We all struggle with that. <laughs> you guys are in trouble. Both of your pastors are like, yeah, we struggle with this area. And everyone else is like, pastors, you guys. <laughs> but this is the area where we grow. And this is the area where the rubber hits the road. This is where true discipleship happens. This is where true transformation happens. And this is what I believe God is speaking to us about in this time and season. There is great joy in laying down my will when I delight, when my delight is doing the will of the Father. 
And that is a wonderful place to start in prayer. Father God, my prayer today, not just for myself, but for our spiritual family, Lord God, is that you would help us, that you would give us your grace and your mercy in the area of the hardness of our own our hearts at times and the stubbornness of our own will. Lord, would you give us a delight in doing your will? Help us to, to use the will that you have given us to aim in a different way, to submit, Lord God, not willfully to, to, to pursue, but to submit to your word, to your will, and to your desires. Lord, we count the cost, and we say that the cost concerning uh, this area of our lives, or the cost when compared with the prize, is negligible. It's nothing. It's just, it's old man's. It's stuff that leads to death. And Lord, I want to pray you'd help us see it that way. Help us to submit to your will in all things, that which we know, to walk in it, that through those decisions, we may be transformed to think like you, to be like you, to walk in the light, not in the darkness, to walk in your grace and not in our own strength. Lord, the key is submission and alignment with your will. And I want to pray, Lord, that that would grow in us. Thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts in this time and season. Thank you for the work you're doing in your church in this time and season. That you are calling us to this place of submission. That your life may be seen and felt in us and work itself out through us. So I bless and thank you for this word today. And I thank you, Father God, that, that it struck a chord in our hearts. Help us to evaluate these things, Father, as we go into this week, I pray. And that we may align our hearts again and again, more and more, with your love and with your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.